Welcome to the Brilliant Business Moms Podcast, Episode 126, with Sarah Kornack and Beth Ann Schwamberger. Today on the show, we're talking with Jenny Brandon. She is our first guest from the UK, and we were so excited to talk with her. Jenny walks us through the IF app and how it can increase your social media presence effortlessly. She also talks with us about international issues, ways that bloggers and sellers can be more internationally minded or reach a broader audience. It's a really fun episode, so let's get started. You're listening to the Brilliant Business Moms podcast, practical business advice for startup moms. Today on the podcast, we are pleased to welcome Jenny Brandon. Jenny is a mom of two from the UK, our very first guest from the UK, and she's here to tell us all about the If This, or I guess it's now called the IF app, formerly called If This Then That, how it's helped both in her business and her personal life. Jenny has two blogs, theerrantsock.com and laundryinthetemple.com. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Thank you. It's really good to talk to you guys tonight. Jenny, could you begin by telling us a little bit more about yourself, your family, and then tell us a little bit about your two blogs? Sure. Okay. Well, my family lives in Cambridge in the UK, which is actually where I grew up. I'm married to Guy. We've been married 10 years. He spends half of his week, he's a PhD theologian, he spends half of his week writing and researching about how that links to Christian social policy at a think tank, and half the week writing about cryptocurrency, so he's quite diverse. But I think most of all, he's just a really awesome husband and daddy. He's really hands-on and fantastic with our with two. My daughter is Sophie. She's six. She's really sweet and sensitive and loves reading, and she's always making things. Our, our house is sort of overflowing with little craft projects. And then my son is Joe. He's four. You can kind of imagine him. He's basically the human version of Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes. Um, he's oh. very curious. <laughs> totally. He's curious. He's mischievous. He's very affectionate. He has the sticky, uppy blonde hair. Because we're in the UK, he's actually just started school and he's learning to read. We're recording this in early December. He turned four at the end of August and a week later he was in proper big school. So that's been quite a shift for us this year. (laughs) And then my blogs are, the first one is Laundry in the Temple. That's been going since my daughter was a baby. And it's just about some of the things we've been doing in our home, specifically to teach the kids about our faith. And we've just been, you know, doing the Jesse tree during Advent and that kind of thing. And then my other blog is called The Errant Sock, basically because I'm never on top of my laundry. And it's just about parenting hacks and the books we're reading and lots of slow cooker recipes because that's something I used to blog about. My friends actually are always asking me advice on their slow cookers. They call me the slow cooker whisperer around here. So that's something I I wrote a lot about earlier, but I wanted to expand a bit on that and write about more things. So yeah, that's us. Awesome. Sounds like a fun life over there in Cambridge. So Jenny, you first got in touch with us with this really interesting story about how a podcast episode helped you in your business and also Hmm. helped you to land another job. So we'd love for you to share that with all of our listeners. Sure. Okay. So years ago, when my daughter was small, I had another blog, which I'm no longer posting on, called Slow Cooked in Blighty, and that was just slow cooker recipes. 
and I put AdSense on it. And back then, blogging was very simple. I was on the blogger platform. You didn't really put things on social media. And I basically made some money almost by accident. I was quite surprised. So when my my son was two, I was desperate to get back to blogging. We had a really rough first two years with him. He was um, had a lot of health issues. And I thought, hey, I could try and make some money on purpose. But it turned out blogging had moved on quite a lot. So I was struggling quite a lot to just kind of gain traction. And I came across your podcast through Amy Lynn Andrews, her newsletter, and thought, I'll give that a go. And that was in, uh, I guess, about a year ago, maybe October last year in 2014. And the very first episode I heard was number 53 with Kelly... I forget her surname, but it was all about Twitter. And I would found Twitter just really off-putting because it just seemed like such a barrage of information coming through. I was very comfortable with Facebook and using Facebook to promote my blog, but Twitter I was finding tricky. So I suddenly got it. I was like, I can do this. I can do this. And I was getting something like 600% more views. 600% more views of quite a small number to start with. But I just suddenly thought, this is really good. And in fact, I was... I was thinking about Twitter so much, I actually had this nightmare one night about this hairy monster called Hashtag Hashtag who was chasing me around. (laughs) But we were actually starting to get to the point where living in Cambridge is extremely expensive and our finances were really taking a dent. I'd taken off time to be with the kids when they were small, but we were kind of just starting to get a little worried. It was just getting quite tricky. And then a pastor who I'd known for a long time said he had a job going in his parish, not actually at the church we go to, but um, a church out in one of the villages just outside Cambridge. And he offered me the job and they had five candidates, I think, but none of the others could do anything with social media. And I was able to talk at the interview about how I could use Twitter and Hootsuite and Buffer and all these things I'd learned literally in the previous two months from your podcast. And he called me the next day and said, you were the outstanding candidate. You knew what you were talking about and we ha- we're confident and you enjoy building websites and our website really needs an overhaul. So I got the job. So I, I really just emailed you guys to say thank you. And I know it's not an entrepreneurial thing. It's a pretty regular office job, but it fits really well around my family and it helps us out of a major financial hole. And yeah, just wanted to say thanks, really. Well, Jenny, we were so excited to get your email because even though, like you said, it's not an entrepreneurial thing, the job at the church, but but the podcast was able to do something helpful in your life. And so we were just thrilled for you that that something, some information that we put out there was able to help in any way is always exciting for us to hear. Yeah, absolutely. But in that email, you mentioned to us about how you you've been using that do they call it that if app or the if app i think it's called the if app because it used to be called if this then that and a a lot of people still refer to it than that uh, like that so basically what happened was my son had stopped napping around christmas i was blogging in a tiny amount of time anyway and taking on the job just knocked out all of the rest of the time i had so basically wasn't blogging at all but i wanted to keep a social media presence I wanted to give the small community I'd built up something valuable and I had zero time to do it and I was already using Twitter feed which Kelly had mentioned using so I automatically retweet posts from some very specific bloggers I have about 20 for each of my blogs where I know I can trust the content and I know it's relevant to the kind of readership I have and I'd I'd actually heard about if this then that 
the year before and I don't know why it suddenly occurred to me to use it but basically it's an app that connects other apps together and if you do something in one app then something happens in the other app so I wanted to make sure that I kind of maintained what I would I guess some people call a digital footprint and I want it had to be easy and also I found one of the one of the big opportunity costs with blogging is just the time it takes to learn all the different programs that you're using and some are very quick and intuitive to use like I use Canva for my graphics and that's been very quick others are extremely comprehensive but take a while to to learn to use well and then to use effectively you know you learn the software and then learn how to use them well so I mean Hootsuite I found took a bit longer to learn to use but if this then that was extremely quick to understand really quick to set up it was a really clean interface really intuitive and it's also got it's quite humorous actually there's lots of fun things you can do with it and I, I think the guys who've set up have a sense of humor basically what it does is an action in one app will invoke an action in another app so an example outside blogging would be if I take a photo on my Android phone I have chosen that it saves it to Google Photos. And it could save it anywhere that I chose, really. If I send a tweet, it saves it to Evernote. If I'm leaving my office, I could set it up to turn the heating on in my home if I had a smart boiler. So it does all, it connects all sorts of apps. And it calls the apps channels. They've got about 250, so the potential is is huge. And you can do lots of different recipes within each app. So the combinations are pretty much endless. So some of the major channels they use are Twitter, Evernote, Blogger, WordPress. Um, they've got eBay and Etsy on there. You could connect up your Fitbit or Spotify. They've got Feedly, YouTube, Reddit. Trello's on there. I know you guys use Trello. They do all sorts of Apple apps as well as Android apps. And they've just added Pinterest, I found out. I was very excited about that. Oh, yeah. that's you... really recent. Oh, boy. Because yeah. as soon as you mentioned, sorry, this is a little aside, then I'll let you keep going. Jen. <laughs> it's fine. I... As soon as you mentioned Feedly, I was thinking to myself, I just set up a bunch of Feedly channels so that I could see what was brand new on the on really good blogs that have uh -huh. Pinterest-friendly content so that yeah. I could be pinning original brand new content versus just right. repinning what everybody else is doing on Pinterest all the time. But if so, then if I could set up a recipe yeah. where I could do, hey, every time these blogs and my Feedly post something new, pin mm -hmm. that to Pinterest to whatever board you know I choose. That would be Absolutely. so cool. But do you know what else you can do? You can pin items that you add to your Etsy store. That was one of the example recipes they had. You can pin your Instagram photos to a board. You can tweet every time you add a pin. I, I only just found that out this week and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm such a geek at heart, I have to say. <laughs> when I first heard about this app, I was just happy that it existed, but I couldn't see a use for it. Once I got into it, I was like, oh, this is so fun. So you can tell I'm quite excited about it. And I like it because it's given me huge, huge leverage for very little time invested. So, yeah, and I'm not using it on anything close to its full potential for my blog. Um, so I'd be really interested to find out what people do with it. I could give you some of the recipes I'm using at the moment for my social media and then talk to you a little bit about what some of the other bloggers I know about are using it for. Sure. I love how you phrased it. It's leverage. It's mm. a way to leverage what you're already doing mm -hmm. across other platforms. Exactly. Kind of like a, a big circle of making sure you're not dropping the loop anywhere. Exactly. So, yeah, 
I would love to hear what some of your recipes are or the recipes of other bloggers. Sure. Okay. So, and then I've got some ideas about how people might get started in it. I will tell you to start with, which will help make sense of how I've mapped my information. I'm much better on Facebook than anything else. It's partly I've been using it for longer, but I've just had more practice on it. So if I post to my Facebook page, it tweets out. If I tweet, it goes to my Facebook page. And it could go to my timeline equally. You, it's, there's quite a lot of sort of fine-tuning within an app, so it doesn't have to go to one particular place within an app. If I tweet Laundry in the Temple, it will retweet on Errant Sock. But it doesn't necessarily do that the other way around because the content isn't necessarily as relevant in the opposite direction. Something your listeners may not know is that the UK is actually an extremely secular country, so the way we would handle sort of faith-based content is slightly different and the way it would be received is certainly very different. I'm already using Twitter feed to auto-retweet certain trusted sources. So they then come up quite, quite. they're going onto Twitter using Twitter feed, but then they pop up automatically onto my Facebook page, which means even on a week where I do nothing in blogging, I have a Facebook page that looks active. I have a Twitter, a, a Twitter stream that looks active and I'm just, I'm regularly picking up new likes um, new followers on Twitter on weeks where I'm doing zero, uh, which astounds me. And then every few weeks when I have a bit more time, I'll go in and I'll sort of follow the people who are following me and this kind of thing. So that's quite useful. So I'm kind of building momentum even on weeks where I'm literally putting in zero time. My photos are backed up, which, again, I take a lot of the photos I use on my blog on my phone. I've got a good camera on my phone, so they're automatically backed up. I know where they are when I come to look at them. And it means that when your toddler drops your phone down the loo, as they're going to one day, you know where your photos are. You know those precious ones that you picked up just when they were at the park, and you're like, I can't lose this, and there goes my phone. Um, So I wish I'd had it when my daughter was a baby because I had a phone completely destroyed and I have photos of my daughter at three days old when she was in hospital I I just don't have them anymore so that kind of thing it's grateful some bloggers who are putting more time in and working with brands I know there was one blog I heard of she was automatically saving all of her tweets into basically the equivalent of an excel chart in Evernote and then because she did the same campaign with the same brand every year, not only could she show the brand what she posted and when, she could reuse her tweets the following year. Mm. So it's something a little bit similar to Edgar. I mean, okay, done manually, but this is a free program. And I mean, I'm bootstrapping it. So very useful for people in my position who are trying to do blogging at as low a cost as possible, basically, because it does it all for free. So should I tell you a little bit about how I got started with, with it? And how I worked worked with it initially? Sure. Okay, so what I did was I, I just went in, I just searched for all of the apps that I was already using. So I was like, okay, I'm already using Twitter, I'm using WordPress rather than Blogger these days, and I put in everything I was using. And then I looked at the recipes they suggested and started to kind of get some ideas. And then I went back on, I'm, I have to do things on paper, I'm very visual, and I just mapped which way I wanted things to go. And I wanted to work mainly from Facebook. I'm good at scheduling things in Facebook. It's just, you know, it's just, for me, it's my, it's my native language and social media. Whereas for other people, they might decide to work from Twitter if they're quick and experienced on Twitter. And I just mapped which direction I wanted the, the information to go. Um, the recipe I didn't mention is if I, if I go on Instagram, that comes onto my Facebook page. So I basically do everything on Facebook. Since then, I have actually got on top of Hootsuite. I've I've, um, figured out how that works. So 
that works alongside. But that's how I got started. And like I said, I, I was up and running with, I think, about eight recipes in under 10 minutes. That's completely impressive that in under 10 minutes, you had a bunch of recipes already going. And I loved your idea to sit down on paper mm. and kind of map the loop. Like, what's the cycle going to look like? Yeah. That would make it easy to visualize how you're disseminating your information. Yeah. I can't wait to get started. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's good fun. I was just thinking too, Sarah, with, you know, Jenny was talking about, you know, you can set up Twitter feeds, so you automatically tweet about the bloggers whose content you know is always going to be good and always be relevant. And we've done that for a while, although we could definitely add to our Twitter feed and be sharing more people's content. But then, like like Jenny said, the genius part would be then then take that over to Facebook. Use the mm-hmm. If app to take that over to Facebook because we – we could be doing a lot more on Facebook mm-hmm. to kind of like keep staying top of mind to people and, you know, grow those numbers because we're growing kind of our exposure and growing what we share each week. I think, yeah, that would be great. Um, there are some downsides to it. I think if you were sort of a super professional blogger who had a bit more uh, capital to throw at your blogging, there are some downsides to it. I mean, I'm not perfectly optimizing every graphic that I put up. I'll put up a Facebook graphic and that just has to do for Twitter. But it's a kind of much better than nothing sort of scenario. I call it blogging in the messy middle. It does shorten links for you, which is interesting. Let's say I find something on my Facebook timeline that I like, that I think my readers will like. I'll then post onto my Facebook page. And it will then bounce out to Twitter. And I was just checking the other day. It does shorten those links for you, but it doesn't count characters. So you have to make sure you'll either have a slightly truncated feed on Twitter if you're sharing a post. But if you're doing, you know, I, I go in once a week and I do a, a, a Facebook something or other for every day of the week. So I'll go, I'll look in my calendar. I'm like, OK, Saturday, we're going to my daughter's ballet show. So for Saturday, I have a, a little line set up I'm like today we're going to my daughter's ballet show had to remortgage my house for the tickets but hey (laughs) this is real life people and you can't count the characters on that and obviously you need to put your hashtags in in Facebook but people are kind of used to seeing hashtags in Facebook much more now because they realize that some people do automatically share their their tweets on on Facebook so you just need to remember to be short and sweet you know you need to kind of know roughly what 140 characters look like and stay well under that It also means you are sharing the same stuff everywhere, clearly. And that might bother some people. But to be honest, you know how if you're sharing on your page, nobody sees everything anyway. They see, what is it, one in five, one in six posts from your page, unless they've liked an awful lot on your page. So they're only seeing a proportion anyway. So I don't think it matters. I I don't think there's many normal people, as in people who aren't bloggers, who are spending major time on all of the social media channels anyway. Most of us will, you know, really keep a check on one or two. We won't be going on a lot of Twitter, a lot of Facebook, a lot of Instagram every single day. At least I'm certainly not. I don't have the time. And even if I do, I don't follow the same people in every single social media. So I don't think it matters that you get repeat content. And in, on Twitter, certainly, you get used to seeing the same tweets maybe two or three times in the same day. I think that's just accepted as part of the normal kind of chatter on Twitter. So, I mean, other people may disagree, but I just wanted to point out that there could be some potential downsides to it. 
The other thing I was concerned about is because I tweet to my Facebook page, but also Facebook page to my Twitter account, I was kind of worried that you get a, an eternal loop that you'd bounce backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards again. <laughs> I found that doesn't happen. It seems to, I, what I often find is that I'll get something off Twitter feed will appear on my Facebook page maybe twice. But I don't think, it, I mean, it isn't perfect. I might be able to tweak it so it doesn't. But I don't, again, I don't think it matters too much because people will tend to only come on your Facebook page sporadically I find I think mostly they just kind of rely on stuff turning up in their timelines and they're not going to see that thing twice in their timeline or very very unlikely are they going to see that post twice in their timeline just because of the way Facebook shares things thank you for that explanation Jenny I think that was really good outlining the pros and maybe a few of the cons but yeah yeah overall I, I know Sarah and I are both excited to dig into the if app that was good fun <laughs> So, Jenny, I know you also have a lot of tips on how U.S. bloggers in particular could be doing a better job to make sure they're reaching the U.K. market and they're finding ways to monetize their blogs that also work for their U.K. readers. I'd love to hear some of those tips from you. Sure. Well, I mean, first of all, I'm a bit of a stats geek, so I thought I'd just kind of share what kind of numbers you're looking at. You've got a population of the, in the US of 320 million, which is a pretty staggering potential audience when you think about it. But obviously, you're only reaching a, a proportion of that with any kind of topic or product. If you add up the population of the UK, which is 65 million, South Africa's 55, Canada's 36, I won't go through all of them, but if you add up the UK, South Africa, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and Ireland, you're adding a hundred, another 190 million potential readers, which is 60%. I did that on a calculator, not in my head. <laughs> and a 60% potential increase in your market is not to be sneezed at, to be honest. Right. And I think sometimes just it's not an enormous amount of work. I mean, there are, there are some potential technical issues, but in many, many ways, if people just tweak slightly their approach, they could potentially be reaching a lot more readers. I did also, I was chatting to my boss about this today when I was explaining why I was up late last night prepping something that had nothing to do with my job. And he said, well, you also ought to point out there's countries like India where uh, there's a staggering number of people live in India. I mean, they're close to a billion. They have, they reckon that there's a middle class market there of around 300 million Indians highly educated, fair amount of disposable income, who usually speak extremely good English, you know, degree educated, with some cash to spend. Now, it's a slightly different issue, and I can't speak about India because I haven't been there, but that's worth bearing in mind too. When you write anything, the world may be reading. But I'm, I'm just going to stick to mostly the UK and also broadly comparable cultures like, you know, Canada and Australia and so on. So I'm going to tell you two, I thought I'd tell you a couple of quick stories which would show just how a Brit might be interacting with somebody's site. The first one was a couple of months ago, I decided I needed a, a new winter coat. So I went on to a good British retailer, Marks and Spencers, and had a look at three or four coats. And it's a big purchase. So I spent a while on the site comparing and I thought, you know, I'll go and see these coats in town and have a look at them in real life and see what I think, but see if I can get a coupon code. And I didn't actually purchase that night. 
And you know how it works, that something you've looked at online will haunt you everywhere you look on the internet. Wherever there's contextual advertising, you will see that product, those nice boots you looked at, aren't I pretty? Or, you know, the, uh, the sweat you looked at, aren't I good? Aren't I beautiful? And the burgundy. And you're seeing them <laughs> everywhere. And that will include on US sites if they've got something like AdSense or contextual advertising. So I was seeing the three coats that I'd spent the most time looking at everywhere. And I clicked through to the link a couple of times because I was still thinking, well, I really like that one, but I'm not sure it's a bit more expensive than the other one, which was almost as nice. I clicked through two or three times before I found a fantastic coat in a thrift store and decided that would be fine. (laughs) But I'm still seeing those coats. And if I click on your site to a British retailer, to these coats, I'm clicking through from Britain to a British retailer, but you get the click referral fee if you've got contextual advertising on your site. Well, I wasn't sure if people would realize that. So you may, have, you may be making money off people from other countries without even realizing it. They're not seeing ads to American retailers on your site if you have contextual advertising. They're seeing ads for stores that they can use in their own country. Yeah, I think that's a great point. So, and that's, I mean, Google advertising is so smart. But yeah, for bloggers, they should enable that and so then like you said they're getting the credit and it's for a retailer that's in a different country and I think that's a really interesting point for retailers too that if you Mm. can get a handle on Google Ads then you can be retargeting people from wherever they happen to be. Yeah. And the other thing I was doing was I was looking, I want to get a new planner for 2016. I want to get a downloadable one because I want to add some of my own uh, forms and stuff for it. And I also just bought a new blog theme in the Cyber Monday sales. And I bought both of them off Etsy from US sellers. And their shops it automatically convert the, the price into British pounds. Of course, it's a downloadable project. It's a product. It doesn't matter where they're selling to. And Etsy, in fact, calculates the VAT, which is our, our national sales tax, and also calculates the shipping for me if it's a, a physical product. So like in your own store, the Amateur Naturalist, I'm seeing all the prices in my own currency. And the shipping is also calculated into British pounds. So in fact, um, for your own store, a lot of the products are a little bit too heavy to make worth shipping right. them across here. But in terms of a small product like jewellery or something that's quite small and light, it's totally worth it. My husband actually bought something on eBay from the States. Last Christmas, he he made me this ring, I'm not sure exactly how, out of a silver American quarter. And he shipped it in from the States because it's very small and light. Shipping was, you know, comparable with shipping it from somewhere in the UK. So I was just thinking about the monetization strategies that would that completely transfer across borders. I mean, this will be obvious to some people, but some you may not have thought thought of. Digital downloadable products are obvious. A service like blog design, there's no reason why you shouldn't advertise beyond the US. We've talked about AdSense. Now, the interesting one is if you look at some sponsorship deals and paid reviews and so on that want your page views, I don't think many of them would be looking at where those page views come from. And it almost sounds like cheating, doesn't it? But if you're getting 25% more view, page views, you might win a deal, even from somebody who was only interested in advertising to, to Americans. Books, of course, ebooks, anything being sold as an affiliate. Like I've bought off of Ultimate Bundles. I, I see that. I get their emails. I buy off them occasionally. A course. I did a, a really good course last year with a blogger called Bloggerlina, who you may have come across. I did her course from here, no problem. 
Webinars can be a bit difficult because of the time difference, but if they're recorded, I've watched recorded webinars, membership sites, and then affiliate marketing. Amazon is a little bit more technical, and I can get back to that if you want. But what you'll probably find is that a good part of your income may actually be coming from outside the United States without you even realizing it. And I think what you need to do is figure out what portion of your monetization is through methods that could be used beyond the borders and then figure out how much time it's worth investing and in tweaking your blog or your product, how much effort you put in. If you're doing a daily deals with Walmart kind of site, then it's no use tweaking that for people outside the US. If you're doing something with a membership site or your eBooks, it totally might be worth your time. Yeah, I think I love that, Jenny. I love all of your examples of all the products that you have purchased from U.S. Yeah. sellers. It, it mm-hmm. just has my brain spinning. Like, there are so many possibilities. And, you know, we have sold, like, our the Get Found Guide to Etsy that I have. That's mm-hmm. Etsy SEO, and it's all digital. It's videos and, a, you know, PDF. And that sure. has, you know, been sold to people all over the world. And actually, one of the customers that I've done quite a lot of, I did some one-on-one work with her. She lives in Israel. And so, you know, and again, no big deal because I'm just, she's buying videos and instruction and mentoring from me and I'm sending it to her. No problem. Now, before we started the official interview, Mm -hmm. Jenny, you explained some stuff to Beth Ann and I about Amazon that we had no idea. You, you told us that when we have a link on our blog to amazon.com, you know, it's our affiliate link and we think we're getting a cut from sales but if a buyer from the UK mm-hmm. cannot cannot buy from amazon.com you have to buy from amazon UK That's right. and I had no idea yeah. about that so Jenny could you explain a little bit more to our listeners how it what it is like what is the experience like as a consumer in the UK and you click on an Amazon affiliate link on a website located in the United States what what happens for you sure okay I have a blog that I follow I probably won't name it because I think actually she she might need this advice I might I might email her privately but I uh, I follow a book review blog because I love reading and if I click on the links through to books I end up on amazon.com as you'd expect but the problem is I cannot purchase off amazon.com I won't have any problem getting that product from Amazon.co.uk. I've never found certainly a book that I couldn't get off Amazon.co.uk. And in fact, they'll often share the reviews from Amazon.com for that book on Amazon UK if they don't have enough reviews from the UK. But I cannot purchase through Amazon.com. Now, if if you're doing a lot of international work, it's worth knowing this isn't the same with every country because I have purchased off German Amazon. I used to live in Germany. My, my German's fluent. I wanted to buy some films in German. I couldn't get them on Amazon UK. I purchased off Amazon, the German Amazon, which is a separate Amazon. Well, under the umbrella, but it's a separate kind of site. But I cannot purchase off Amazon.com. It will always tell me to go to Amazon UK to buy the product, which means you're not getting your affiliate cut. Now, uh, as a UK reader of a blog that's, you know, totally relevant to me, it's it's kind of frustrating to be sent through Amazon.com. What I'll typically do is have Amazon UK open in a separate window. I'll cut and paste the title through and then I'll search it on UK Amazon and then put it on my wish list over here. But they're not getting the affiliate cut. Now, there are kind of two steps 
to making making that easier for somebody from outside the US. And I've got some links actually I can send you for the show notes because Amazon does a much better job of explaining this than me. The first thing you need is something called an intelligent link to make sure that the person ends up on their own nations, well, on the relevant Amazon site. Now, not every country has Amazon. Not even all of the big English-speaking countries have them, but the UK does. Canada has a separate one, which surprised me, actually. Australia has one. New Zealand doesn't. India and China do, but they're, they're a bit more complex to work with. But you send them to their own nation site. And in fact, it might be worth having intelligent links, even if you don't monetize them or don't monetize the non-US click-throughs, because it's just a much smoother experience for your reader. You know, it just makes it a more pleasant thing and they can continue to read with less of a break in flow. Now, if you want to make money out of it, what you have to do is three things. First of all, on WordPress, you install a plugin called Amazon Link Engine. I don't know how this works on Blogger. I'm sorry, I didn't get that far. But most people with this kind of thing will be using WordPress. And that will direct the person to the most relevant Amazon to them. I'm guessing if they're somewhere like, I don't know, Finland, (laughs) that it might direct them to Amazon.com, but they should go to the right place. Then to make the affiliate money from them, you need to sign up, you need to create an account with an organization called Genius Links. And they will then make sure that you get the affiliate referral fees. And it's free up to a 1,000 clicks a month and then $10 per 10,000 clicks after that. That's not (laughs) the level of game I'm playing so far. And Amazon thinks it's worth it if over 10% of your traffic is not just from abroad, but from countries who have an Amazon affiliate scheme. And then the third step you need to take is you need to join the affiliate schemes in the countries that people are, are reading reading you from. Now, it, this is the kind of thing that is probably only worth it if you're getting quite a lot of page views a month. And if quite a large percentage of your income is from Amazon, it's probably actually more worth it for a UK blogger because, of course, I've, I'm marketing to 65 million people. If I had 320 million Americans, that kind of makes a lot more sense for me. But if you added Australia and the UK, you know, it's I don't think it would take much time. Certainly, joining Amazon UK affiliates is no more difficult, I'm guessing, than Amazon.com. It's not a long or complicated process. And you don't have to build your links in any different way. You don't have to build links to each of the affiliate schemes. You just build links just as you did before. And then the Intelligent Link plugin sends people off to the appropriate version of Amazon, sends them off to their national Amazon. I hope I explained that about right. Yes, that is so good to know, Jenny. I mean, I was completely clueless about that there was an issue for people outside of the United States using some of those links. Yeah. So that really cleared up a lot. I I mean, it just opened my eyes, I guess. It didn't clear up a question because I didn't even know there was a problem. So it's good to know for sure. Well, I mean, having interacted with American blogs for, you know, I guess five or six years, it, it's always been a it's a minor irritation, but mm-hmm. it's it's something that's easy for me to get around. But if I'm if I'm reading a blog on something like Feedly on my phone, which I do with a lot of blogs, then I'm just not going to bother. 
and because I can't cut and paste very easily on my phone and you know it's just too much hassle this one particular book review blog I will take the trouble to open it up on my laptop and have a look and then click through to Amazon UK because her recommendations are always spot on I spent far too much money on Amazon because of this woman but you know it's, it's fabulous I mean it brings joy to my life but she could be making money out of me and she's not so right. yeah I just thought I'd right. open that up you mentioned it being a minor irritation, and I'm I'm curious, not just with monetizing things, but just in general. Sure. What are some things that American bloggers do that are irritating to readers in other countries? I'm sure we're doing something. <laughs> what makes it sound so bad? I mean, okay, so I wouldn't call them faux pas or anything. Some of it is just a bit of a, a cultural disconnect, and I can talk about that in a minute. Some some things that people are doing well, I'm thinking of somebody like Crystal Payne. So she has different variations on her feed that you can get. And I take the version that doesn't give me daily deals because obviously the daily deal stuff is completely irrelevant to me. We do not have Walmart, uh, for instance. We don't have a lot of the, the offers that she says, but some of the kind of more common sense, how to live frugally stuff is, you know, it's just as relevant here. What else? Some things that actually might seem less popular in the UK might actually resonate better in other countries. I will bet a huge Google search in the UK in July is, how do you keep your home cool without air conditioning? Because in general, we do not air condition our homes. That's quite, that's quite unusual. One of the things that also isn't an issue at all is you'll know that we spell differently. We use a lot of different vocabulary. I've probably sort of auto-translated a lot of words while I've been speaking to you because I mean even in the days before the internet do you remember those I mean we all we all grew up reading Judy Bloom novels and we watched the Dukes of Hazard and Baywatch and I'm not saying that gives us a perfect view into American culture but um, in fact one time I went to San Diego I got to the beach and I was like there are normal people here <laughs> Yeah, Baywatch was making me think of that now that I'm in San Diego. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I don't. I haven't seen any lifeguards that look like the Baywatch characters. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I mean, a, a lifeguard talked to me and I was like, you are aware I'm over a size eight. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I mean, right from when I, you know, I mean, I'm 40. We've grown up with a very high proportion of our media being from America. I don't think, oh, now I'm watching a US TV program. Now I'm watching a British TV program. You just, it's just part of what you consume. And that has, has become much more prevalent. I think Pinterest has probably had the biggest influence in the last couple of years. But we, we kind of mentally translate the vocabulary. We, we will forgive the spelling. <laughs> um, we're, just, we're just used to it. It doesn't probably even make us blink. I mean, a podcast, because they're just a little bit more personal than a radio program, and we don't really get much American radio, it has to be said, that might kind of make people think, oh, this is a product from outside the UK or outside Australia or whatever. But most products, I mean, we're just kind of used to it. I think one thing that people, another thing people are doing well apart from modified feeds, is just being a little bit more inclusive in language. So a good example would be I listened to a podcast called Sorta Awesome with Megan Teets. Oh, oh, yeah. 
her voice is just perfect for radio. She just I could li- I could listen to her reading the phone book, I think. Like a couple of weeks ago, last week was Thanksgiving and we're sort of vaguely aware that Thanksgiving happens and roughly when it is, but you know, it's a big deal in the States obviously and she said here in the US, it's Thanksgiving next week, so we'll be taking a break on the podcast to give my team a rest. And she could have just said, next week is Thanksgiving. But it was nice, the way she just used her language, she didn't assume that all of her listeners were from America. I mean, Canadians don't celebrate her Thanksgiving at the same time. So, you know, it was just a bit inclusive. In the summer, she was just showed awareness that not everybody in the States has the same summer break. Her, her kids came out later than other people's. But I mean, here in the, in the UK, our kids finish school about the 20th of July. And we only get six weeks. But by the end of August, we're watching your back to school post and going, yep, not quite yet. Thank goodness. And we don't expect American blogs to sort of cater to all of our different calendar, I guess. But it's just nice to show some awareness. And I think also, having traveled around the States quite a lot as in my early 20s, I managed to hit 42 states. I'm quite proud of that. It's, wow, it's, yeah. not a, it's not an homogenous country. So you may actually find that being a bit more inclusive just will include readers that, who are in a different part of the United States who have a slightly different take on things. So you might say on, a, on your blog or on social media, so I'm interested, you know, what part of the world are you reading from today? Is it snowing where you are or are you, you know, is it balmy and hot? And somebody from, you know, San Diego can say gorgeous 50 degrees here today. I have no idea about Fahrenheit, by the way, so I'm probably getting this wrong. (laughs) But you know, it's 10 degrees. And, you know, somebody in New England can say four foot of snow over here. So, but somebody outside, you know, in Australia can say, yep, we're on the beach today. And it just includes people a little bit. I think if you do some food or a craft with an international flavor, you could say, so this was my version of paella. If you're from Spain or your family has Spanish heritage, I'd love your feedback. How does your family do this? Have you got any tips to make this even better? So just kind of, you know, inclusive language. If you're creating a product, it may be worth doing a, list, a downloadable product. Product. It might be worth doing a little research. So, for instance, outside the United States, if you're doing a planner, most of us will start the week on a Monday, whereas I know a lot of U.S. planners start on a Sunday, which makes it less useful. So that might take a bit of research. Yeah, I don't think you need to be aware of everything that's going on in every other English-speaking country. It's just using more inclusive language. I think another thing is not to assume that trends will all go at the same speed. So, for instance, I'd say Instagram use is a couple of years behind here. Pinterest wasn't a big deal for a couple of years after it was in the States. But some trends will go faster elsewhere. So, for instance, cell phones were absolutely ubiquitous here. A good two to three years before everybody was carrying them in the States, just because our public call system was so rubbish that having having a cell phone was a huge boon. And like doing um, online grocery shopping and getting your groceries delivered to your your door the next morning, that's been a normal part of life here for the past decade. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) I'm jealous. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I was really surprised when I heard on an American podcast, somebody said that was normal in Manhattan. I was like, you don't have that in Texas? Surely. (laughs) I mean, for a decade that has been just... I don't know how you have a new baby and don't get your groceries delivered. How do you do that? And like you go when your husband comes home from work. Yeah, um, and online shopping in general is much more popular here than in the United States. I think I think I've heard that the UK does their the highest proportion of shopping online 
than any country in the world. And it's partly because we're a small country. So we had a really good mail system before online shopping became popular. So the distribution was all sorted. And we were used to ordering something from a catalogue over the phone and getting it the next day, guaranteed. So, you know, internet shopping came along and we were like, let's go. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, geography and weather and economics can all have a big influence. Australia will be different again. Yeah. So, and visual material, you know, we can share it across all these different cultures. So I'm seeing pins being pinned from France and Spain and so on. And pictures are kind of independent of language. So you may, may well be working with people who speak English well as a second language, which is really common in places outside the, the US and the UK. I mean, the Brits are notoriously rubbish at other languages. But there may well be people reading your blog from countries where they don't speak English, their first language. I love that perspective, Jenny. I feel like my brain is turning a little bit with ways we can be more inclusive. And I'm even thinking about potentially trying to target some of our digital products per, like specifically at a UK audience and seeing how that might perform. Because once you said that Brits are notorious online shoppers, yeah, <laughs> it just, you know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my brain. Although, I mean, I have to look at the shipping, obviously, but for the digital stuff. Yeah, that absolutely. Might, oh. Absolutely. And it seems like Etsy does all of the sales tax and so on for you. So you don't need to to know about it. I don't think you've, you've set up to do British sales tax on your Etsy shop, have you? No, Etsy does. Are you talking about the the VAT tax yeah. and other taxes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Etsy does everything for you, yeah. which is wonderful. And what I've come to learn is when you set up your own online shopping cart system, yeah. they're not doing that for you, mm. which makes it less appealing to sell the digital products outside of the United States yeah. in different shopping carts. It makes you want to send international customers to Etsy mm. because they have made it so, so easy yeah, for us. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The one thing that is also really, really helpful is if, if people use brand names, that can be quite an obstacle. Now, we do have an awful lot of the same brands, but if you just use the brand name, and I don't know what you're talking about in a recipe, for instance. I mean, food is actually a specific area. I can tell you a little bit more about that. But if somebody just says, oh, scotch tape. Now, we'd, I, I do know what scotch tape is because it's what it's called in French. And I've spent time in France, but actually here we'd say sellotape. So actually, if you want to communicate, everybody has to say adhesive tape. So that kind of thing, just use the brand name by all means, or but just put in brackets adhesive tape or something like that. With food, that becomes much, much more important because a lot of U.S. recipes, a lot of people are clearly using them because, I mean, you'll be aware that you guys cook in cups and most of the rest of the world doesn't. Now, 10 years ago, you couldn't buy measuring cups over here, but you can buy them in every single main supermarket here every single chain of supermarkets sells measuring cups now so clearly people are using us recipes but you can make your recipe completely unusable by using a brand name i spent about three years trying to figure out what rotel was (laughs) if you say i would say a tin of tomatoes with chilies but if you say you know a can of tomatoes with chilies that far we can get but if if somebody just says rotel i'm like okay next recipe can't use it so explaining what each product is it's not a massive tweak, but it can make things more accessible. You can also get recipe plugins, which will allow the person to convert your recipe into metric or into imperial weight if they cook in pounds and ounces rather than with cups. So that can be quite useful if you're writing about food. And there's a huge interest in U.S. food. 
particularly U.S. baking. Pinterest has pushed your export market for cupcake recipes and uh, cake recipes through the roof. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for talking with us today. It's been really eye-opening and just so fun to be getting to know you better. As we wrap up, we always like to ask our podcast guests if they can share either a funny or adorable mom moment with us. Sure, okay. Well, the one that actually immediately sprang to mind happened a couple of years ago, but I liked it because you know the way they say the way you talk becomes your child's inner voice? Well, my, my daughter ran up to me a couple of couple of years ago and she ran up to me. I hadn't even had my first coffee and she said, Mummy, Mummy, I've never laid an egg. I was like, um, what? I have no idea what to say. And before I could think of any response <laughs> which was going to take a while she just ran away and she went yeah I guess I probably just need some more practice <laughs> and I just thought, she ran off and I thought good girl she's just you know I thought that was a great attitude so anything is possible including laying eggs you just, you just might need a bit more practice <laughs> Yeah, clearly that's what you're communicating in your home. Like, just keep practicing. Just keep trying. You'll get there. (laughs) Atmosphere of encouragement. That's what you're going for. Oh, too funny. Jenny, could you also tell our listeners one more time where they can find you online, your two blogs? Sure. Okay, so I'm Laundry in the Temple with my faith blog. I'm Laundry in the Temple everywhere on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Pinterest, um, I've not really got super active on Instagram yet, but I'm happy to learn. I love to learn. So come and engage with me there. And so the Errant Sock, I'm the Errant Sock everywhere. Laundry in the Temple, I'm Laundry in the Temple everywhere too, except on Twitter where I'm at Laundry in the Tem, stopping at the M. Awesome. Well, thanks again. It was so fun to hear your perspective on on the international issues, but also learn about the IF app as well. I can't wait to get started there as well. well it's been a real so pleasure. It's so been a real pleasure. I'm glad to, you know, if I can give people some value, it's a good way of saying thank you to you guys. I've really appreciated just the awesome content you've uh, you've put out there. It's been a huge help. And my kitchen floor gets clean at the same time. It's a win-win. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. For the show notes, head to brilliantbusinessmoms.com forward slash BBM126. Bethann and I want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Enjoy some wonderful time with your family. Now it's your turn to head out there and be brilliant.